Today's episode of The Shift We Shay is recorded on Gadigal land. We acknowledge and pay respects to the traditional custodians of the land, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Someone came from the exec actually one of the days and wanted to see the closet. And the previous day, or like a couple of days earlier, I was after hanging up a beautiful suit in this closet. And, and I remember looking at it going, this is genuinely made for Hollywood, this suit. It's, it's all suited and booted, short ties, belt, uh, absolute works. And when I went on to the ward this day with the exec, lo and behold this patient um had this suit on <laughs> and it was genuinely tailor-made for this man he looked incredible and he came down and you know, i says, keith what do you think of the suit you know and i just i was genuinely touched by that i really was and you know he said to me he said listen i was just over in there the other section of the unit he said and about three or four patients asked me if i could be discharged today <laughs> because they mistook him as a psychiatrist Welcome to the latest episode of the podcast, The Shift with Shay. Today, I'm joined in studio by fellow nurse, Keith Donnelly. Keith is a mental health nurse at Prince of Wales and the director and founder of Keith's Closet, a not-for-profit outfit, pun intended, who provide clothing, toiletries, sanitary items, accessories and homewares to patients on admission or discharge from a mental health facility. Thanks for joining me today, Keith. Thank you very much. Uh, We can hear from your accent that you're not born and bred Aussie. Tell us a bit about where you've come from and uh, how you landed in nursing. Yeah, so I'm a very proud Irish man, born in Dublin into a family of 11. Uh, so six boys and five girls in a three-bed terrace house. Uh, fair to say, it was the best mental health training I've ever had. <laughs> um, Eleven kids. Yeah. Holy moly, that must have been an uh, you know busy household growing up. It was really, really busy. Um, I mean, you just didn't know what was going to happen. From one day, there was a fight for the dinner table, there was a fight for the shower, with one bathroom as well. Wow. For, like for 13 of us, basically, yeah. um, at any one stage. So it was like forced up, best dressed in the house at that time, you know. Wow, that's remarkable. And so you obviously grew up pretty close with, you know, 13 uh, people in a small house all altogether. Um, so tell us a bit about, you know, those experiences and how you ended up in nursing. Yeah, so I guess um, some of my sisters, my older sisters moved off to the UK uh, when I think I was about seven or eight years of age. So mm-hmm. that was a bit, oh, where's my sister's gone kind of thing. But um, they had to leave like for their own reasons as well, I guess, like to reach that age. The house was probably chaotic for them. So they thought, right, I'm getting out of here. So mm-hmm. they went to the UK. And I guess then um, one by one or two by three, sometimes like everyone sort of left at that point. And there was just me and my dad there at the time. Then now, not saying a typical Irish dad, uh, but most men obviously back in them days was fond of a drink or ten. So uh, my dad was no exception to the rule. He he loved his alcohol. So uh, more or less morning, noon, and night, if you wanted to find him, you had to go over the pub and find him there. Mm-hmm. Um, which was obviously really really hard in a way because uh, Mama died uh, when I was ten years of age. She had spent a lot of time in a hospice back home mm-hmm. uh, from cancer. So uh, my kind of childhood memories were of her like going out to the hospice and seeing her in bed, which I, you know, it was obviously difficult for a child at that mm. age to comprehend why why mum isn't at home and stuff. So um, on St. Patrick's Day that year, 1984, um, I was all sort of geared up like to go into St. Patrick's Day 
into the city, which is a massive occasion like for um, Ireland and almost globally now at this stage. So yeah. I was all keen and went downstairs um, and obviously everybody was really upset and crying. So I was obviously told at that point um, our mum had actually died that morning. So that was obviously really hard to take. So that, again, split the family into bits and pieces and everybody was arguing and fighting. And uh, the following year then, uh, one of my brothers who had an amazing relationship, uh, he loved his soccer and I loved my soccer. So we were, um, like, I guess, like, two of the besties out of the family more so um, and then I woke up on my 11th birthday and I'm almost similar I had a lot of noise downstairs and I was like oh my god everybody's here for my birthday I thought this is really weird that there's so much noise downstairs um, so early in the morning and, and again I went down um, and was told like that David had uh, had had died in a car crash um, oh. so obviously whatever way he died like that was really really upsetting and really um massive shock like for me at that time um in my life just after losing my mom i wasn't really mm. dealing with life so um how old was he he was he was 33 yeah um and and then uh, to really throw a spanner in the works when i was about 16 or 17 years of age i was actually told he wasn't killed in a in a car accident he actually died by suicide wow. uh, so that just like really threw me under the bus again like I was uh, hit another really bumpy road so I can honestly say all them school years were just a bit of a a disaster for me I couldn't concentrate I couldn't focus um, sport like was definitely my my uh, sort of frame and um, the place where I felt at my happiest but mm. um, I guess when I look back now all of these things happened for a reason like I guess like it built me up with resilience it kind of got me into understanding heartbreak and sadness and all of them things you do feel as a nurse um and uh yeah like but then it kind of went on another really slippery patch where all of a sudden i i got hit with a really bad stammer so i couldn't even say my own name at one point i couldn't say my name is keith donnelly without it taking about five minutes so um yeah so that was a real real difficult time like because as you might gather like i like to chat and uh, <laughs> i am a very sociable person and i always mm. uh, felt trapped in my own body that if if we're having a conversation now there's obviously so much i want to tell you but i know there's certain words and a lot of letters in the alphabet that i can't actually say without being really stuck mm. so i remember um they're looking up like the golden pages as uh, they were back then so this big massive phone book that would have all these uh, support numbers in it's not easy accessible as as it is now and uh, i remember looking for someone like a speech therapist or something and and i just did it off my own bat and i went down and i had a look at this building and i was just looking a little bit i'm not too sure about this place the grass is all overgrown at the front there was curtains hanging off the windows i kind of thought i'm not too sure if i walk in here if I'll, anyone will ever find me again so <laughs> I went back home and I just thought, right, I need to write out a plan here as to how I'm going to um, attack this issue. So I wrote down all the letters I, I found it really difficult. So, for example, B and D and like most of the alphabet, if I'm honest, was really hard to say. So uh, like sort of bit by bit, I kind of changed how I might have pronounced certain words. And all of a sudden I started joining a few dots and... 
I know you can't shut me up, you know. So it's, that's uh, really remarkable, you know, that you were able to sort of t- self-teach yourself out of um, having such a significant stammer. Yeah. At um, was all of this going on, you know, at a time when you were trying to go to school, and you know, you still had lots of siblings in the house, and all dealing with that grief as well. Yeah. So I was I was fifteen years of age, and on a home in Ireland, like we had a two major state examinations. So one was your intercert, which is is um, what would it be halfway through high school over here basically and mm-hmm. um, and I failed that examination which was no great surprise uh, with everything going on but um, I was told by the principal then that if I was to continue into um, year 11 and year 12 for example um, I would have to do like an additional year mm-hmm. and 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 that year was a bit of a nothing year and it wasn't going to teach me anything and I just thought, listen, I really don't want to do that and he says, well, there's your ultimatum either you do it or you leave the school so at 15 I left school and um, I became a lounge boy um, in one of the local bars so basically like a bar person who'd be serving drinks to customers and that and uh, yeah, and then it really got bad because I had really great difficulty uh, with my peers mm-hmm. and I had really great difficulty in J's. So trying to say a pint of Guinness, mm-hmm. which is the most <laughs> sought after drink in the a whole of Ireland. A pint of Guinness without P's or J's. Exactly. How do, how do you get around that one, you know? And, Especially uh, around drunk people too. I feel like that would have been, you know, a real kind of <laughs> moment of excruciating kind of... Oh. Wow. It was for the simple reason that when uh, we were on the floor, we actually did um, the table service. So if you were sitting down having a drink, I would go over and ask you what you'd like to drink and you would not have to come up to the bar. And it was such a busy pub. Like this bar, like had what it was it just had everybody in it from morning until night. It was mm-hmm. it was a well-run bar. And um, and I had to shout out my order then in front of everybody on a car so I just I wanted the ground to open up every two minutes and just swallow me because I thought oh my god this is so embarrassing but um, like I said yeah with a little bit of self-teaching like I think I managed to get myself out of that and although I might get stuck on a word every now and again it's okay it's not yeah. you know it doesn't bother me anymore I can get around it now so, mm. so uh, you know barman to yeah. nursing yeah, how well, did that happen? there was a few other things there was bar work roofing office work um, I had a year in Australia in 97 until 98 yeah. that was really fantastic uh, went back home and thought Australia is definitely on my radar I'll get back there one day what did you love about it I just loved absolutely everything <laughs> I remember like my sister lived here anyway and and still does so she was saying to me for ages she knew how unhappy I was in Ireland where mm-hmm. life just wasn't really working out no matter what I did so she said listen why don't you come and have a year over here with me um, she lived in Lane Cove at the time, a beautiful house overlooking the river. I just thought this is absolutely paradise, this place. Um, I didn't tend to stay with her for like four to six weeks, but the place was too nice to leave. So that <laughs> ended up being nearly 12 months in a house with a bit of travel in between. And 
and I found a great soccer team in North Sydney and built a friendship. So it was amazing. So for all them reasons, the people, the lifestyle, I went back home and thought, right, I need to find a way I'd like to get back to Australia. And this is in 1998, um, and I wasn't sure what or how I'd actually get back in. So I tried everything, and that just fell apart. Um, I think it was 2003 then I I was after playing a soccer match and I met a friend of mine Tony who's a a, um, a member of staff in an aged care facility in Dublin he actually asked me what I was doing I said I want a job and he said I can get you a job as a care assistant or household staff so I went there right enough and he made a recommendation that was it like you'd get the job so um, I had an interview uh, landed in an aged care unit and just loved it from day one but I always knew I wanted to do a little bit more but obviously I was never going to become a nurse because I left school academically there was absolutely no hope for me um, and I had the most beautiful um, director of nursing Kay Began and she encouraged me to just like drop me guard just go for it what was the worst case scenario I'd fail I'd leave mm-hmm. at whatever stage um, and as well as that um, the equivalent of New South Wales Health, which is the health executive health service executive back home in Ireland, were doing um, sponsorship at the time. So they uh, managed to sponsor me, like to go through uh, university much later. So I went there in in two thousand and ten. I started the university and I was thinking, oh my God, what am I actually doing here? You know, because for one, I was a lot older than a lot of the um, schoolies that were just straight out of uh, school and could genuinely do an assignment in in about two hours where I was struggling for about a week or two. But I really had great support, a very understanding wife. We had like a couple of young kids at the time. So she really sort of took the weight off that end of things as well. And so, you know, I can appreciate that it must have been pretty challenging being around all those school leavers who could just whip up an essay with yeah. their eyes shut. Yeah. But surely you must have brought other skills uh, to that learning environment that, you know, made it more achievable. You know, I think about like just the resilience that you've obviously come with yeah. and the ability to sort of put things in perspective. Yes. You know, that type of stuff must have actually made a pretty big difference to your ability to be able to get through uni. Yeah, no, it really did. And and it's funny you mention that because, uh, like, we struck up a really good balance, like, where these little hot shots were able to smash out an assignment. But once they went down the hospital ward for... Uh, for placements it was a very very different level I of bet. playing field completely and they were like what do we do here what happens <laughs> next so I was kind of thinking great like this is kind of turning the tables here a little bit but we all got on really really well and and it certainly wasn't like about me being the older person luckily we had a really um, mature crew as well and mm-hmm. we all just yelled we were out on a four year mission and it was to help each other sort of get over that line as well we all had the end result we all had our things to follow once once we got that hat in our heads that was it like the world uh, was a oyster and for us it was it was always got to be Australia. Did you know the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association has a new online CPD portal? With over 200 free online CPD courses across a wide range of nursing and midwifery topics, plus the ability to track your learning, it's definitely worth checking out. If you're a New South Wales NMA member, just log into the member portal, Member Central, to access this program. And if you're not yet a member, make sure you join today. 
So fast forward, you got your degree, obviously. I did. Did you somehow. work at all while you were, you know, still at home or did you I come did. straight? Okay, so yeah, tell me yeah, about yeah. that. So I, I was working like, so over like the term of the four years, I had to go back to my workplace for holidays and stuff. I was and wasn't in, in uni. And once I qualified then, like I went back to the uni where I was except uh, we had an acute admissions mm-hmm. uh, section as well like which over the four years I had lots of experience in and something I really really enjoyed mm. uh, that was definitely the area for me so um, I did that for about a year while we got everything sorted with paperwork and visas for the three kids and and just trying to get our house wrapped up at home as well so mm. there was a lot going on there and uh, yeah we finally landed in um, Sydney in in 2016 which Mm. was magical and so from then you kind of gone down this pathway around mental health so was your kind of early exposure in aged care and seeing some of the mental health in aged care part of what sparked your interest or was it something else it was just i i never really found myself working in the general sort of nursing um that is a very very different skill and i take my hat off to them guys uh, but mental health was just for me it was just mm. in me that this was my path and as soon as I got a bit of experience even as a care assistant I thought I want to do more and more and more ah. and more in this field so yeah, right. it was definitely from the early stages I knew that mental health was my space yeah right and so when you first landed in Australia where did you go where did you start so I I got sponsored by an aged care um, organisation here first of all um, I did my orientation for five days and then I left oh wow no way I'm <laughs> working in this place no yeah. way this isn't what I worked for yeah years hard grind um but with me leaving there on the fifth day obviously had to ring my wife and say listen this place isn't for me uh, I haven't come here to obviously do this it's it's a very different environment uh, to what was sold to us so mm. um as a result of backing out on that we had um 60 days in order to get another job basically and and someone else that was going to sponsor us yeah so i had many um phone calls back and forth with the prince of wales hospital it was like a couple of guys standing in at the time a hr and and i don't think they really got the pressure that i was under because i was just ringing the morning now any update any update because yeah. time was ticking and i was thinking you don't want to be deported exactly <laughs> oh my god for any reason well just just not for like our, our visa not going through with another organization and yeah. i think when i came to the prince of wales I just realised that the amount of opportunities like for nurses in Australia is so much greater than home. So I thought, yeah, let's let's have some of this. Mm. And Prince of Wales is really well known for their mental health services. So you probably picked a really great place to start too. I don't think I could have chosen any better, if I'm yeah. honest with you. Um, I started in the mental health um, ICU unit and, uh, and that was fantastic. That was the most beautiful mental health unit I've ever been in in my life. It had only recently been built, I think, maybe five or six years ago. So that was that was really tough class can um, i just say you're clearly a mental health nurse when you describe mickey nursing as the most beautiful place you've ever worked there you go there you go i mean like i'd, I'd come from dublin where i was caring for 
anything up to 13, 14 patients wow. on a shift. Like, it was just crazy. And, you know, I had to laugh, like, when I came here, there's all this talk about nursing ratio and all this. I'm saying, guys, honestly, I came to Mickey. I was looking at two people, yeah. like, two patients. Now, I, I know, like, they're very unwell. Once they're in Mickey, I need that, like, real yeah. attention and you know but like just from where i came from like to where i'd come mm -hmm. to was a different level completely uh so i felt yeah this is absolutely great and then i was um i was asked then to fill in for our nurse unit manager over at the colo center um for seven months and and i think after week one i was begging she'd come back from a honeymoon six <laughs> and a bit months early because uh i definitely bit off more than i could chew in that place that was like incredible learning don't get me wrong but it takes a very special person uh, to manage that place and also be mindful of your own mental health too because I just think I've burned the candle uh, from yeah. start to finish and everything in between. I tried my best, like I definitely tried my best, but the learning that I got from that was, I mean, like you couldn't, like you couldn't buy it. Um, yeah. I guess the seclusion room um, was also an area of focus and, and reducing restraints was big on our agenda at that time. And our management, uh, Mr. Garamar was our, our operations manager there at the time and he was an absolute incredible man. He was very big on innovation as well. So it wasn't just about rocking up and doing your shift. It was, it was trying to find a few gaps in the service, I suppose, and saying, what what you could do better for patients mm. and so um obviously that kind of exposure to inpatient mental health um you know i think gives you a real breadth of understanding of all the facets of people's lives and yeah. so this is obviously what kind of led you to the next part of your career yeah so tell yeah. me a bit about what you learned and what you saw yeah so I mean, obviously dealt with many men, many women who arrived in, um, either in the back of an ambulance, the back of the police car, often involuntary, 99% of our clients like would come involuntary. Many would have no family or friends, often would just come there with the clothes on their back and, and often they were fit for the bin, like the clothing that they had on were stained and torn and been worn for some time. So. Uh, for me, it was never just about uh, the mental health treatment. It was about obviously seeing them holistically and seeing like how they um, presented and and how I could help with that. So, uh, because again, like I think from my experience, uh, being born into a family of eleven and being the baby, I often got the handy down. So I was I was often the worst stress in the whole family. Mm. By the time they came down to me, mm. there wasn't much where left in them, you know. Um, so that's always something that resonated me, how I felt when I got a nice outfit or I had a nice shirt or jeans. I wore it till it genuinely fell off my back, you know, because <laughs> I knew it would be a while till I got my next one. Yeah. And uh, So I think that's where the whole idea, like a Keats closet grew from. And this was, um, I guess, a starting point for me where I wanted to do more, like I said, for patients who came in with little or nothing was to offer them some beautiful clothing, some toiletries, some that whatever they needed basically whatever you or i would have in a wardrobe that i wanted to set up a, a walk-in style wardrobe in the hospital where they could access all of these items for free of charge and mm. just like sort of feel good about themselves and, and not have to worry about uh, being handed a white gown that just exposes everything anyway and it just even sort of 
you know, it stigmatizes like our patients even more when they're mm. given a white gown and you're walking around in a mental health unit. It's it's just not pretty. Mm. And so when you came up with this idea, how did everyone sort of receive it? Yeah, um, like so I had a few people up in management who were absolutely all for it. Mm. And, and you'll always get a few like sort of looking behind the scenes thinking well let's see how this goes and let's see how long this lasts because i guess a lot of ideas do sort of come and go and fade out and the wheels fall off the project or whatever the case but i was given uh full reign almost i felt like i was i was doing a lot of things not asking a lot of questions just chancing my arm and getting things done um and reached out locally then we had a guy who was a husband of one of our staff nurses there who runs an organization as Labour Solutions. And when this room, the seclusion room, actually became available due to the fact we had uh, massively reduced restraints and seclusion, it were, the seclusion room was like that almost gathering dust. Like, yeah. And this had gone from, I mean, if you they look back many, many years ago, well, not kind of too many, like Bocalo, had uh, the most seclusions in New South Wales Health. So mm. this was a massive turnaround. Yeah. You'd be now actually transforming a seclusion room into some idea that some guy has a better walking wardrobe, yeah. you know? So, uh, so Paddy, obviously, um, he was up in Ikea one of the days. And although I, I had an idea that I wanted to get nice clothes in this room, I didn't really know how to display it. Mm-hmm. And then he was up in Ikea one of the days and he sent me a photograph of this wraparound wardrobe. And when he sent it to me, I genuinely nearly fell off the stool I was sitting on because it was exactly what I wanted without realising it. It was the perfect fit, the perfect display. And uh, for me, again, it wasn't just about being in a position to offer patients really nice clothes. It was about the whole environment. Mm. It was really welcoming and they'd go in there one-on-one with a member of staff and, and just talk about everything except mental health. So mm. it's just to get away from the real world and the mental health corridor is here and like you step one foot into the closet and everything feels like a million miles away from uh, where you've just stepped from. So I guess that's helped uh, many patients so far and it kind of helps to rebuild uh, their dignity, uh, their confidence, their self-esteem. And just, like I said, like it gives them a sense of look good, feel good, you know? Yeah. And have you found that kind of experience to be, you know, um, I don't know if transformative is too strong a word, but, you know, having someone be able to sort of step out of the mental health unit and talk to them about everything other than mental health. Do yeah. you see them open up? Do you learn about different parts of their life that they haven't shared? Yeah, like you really do because um, as a nurse, I guess, like everything is so, right, mental state examination, are you hearing voices, are you seeing things, here's your medication, here's your doctor review, this is your medication time, just everything is bang, 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 and they're like... Jeez, what the hell is going on yeah. here? I was I had me freedom like a half an hour ago and now I've got all these things coming at me. So uh, for me, it would be very much, like I said, talking about like where you've been, like what your hobbies are, what you enjoy mm. and the stories like and the information that you can get from people. You're not going to get in a, a mental health review because yeah. everything is so regimental and based around the mental health and they're human beings. They could be your sister, your brother, your friend and, 
and everybody has a story to tell so mm. it's definitely a place where all of that unravels and you just end up having a lot of fun like mm. a lot of the time like with people trying on uh, really different outfits and you can be slagging them off and <laughs> bloody show something on them that they think oh my god I never would have chosen this and now I'm, now I'm leaving here and I guess as well it's who who expects to leave a mental health unit like with good memories because often they're traumatized yeah. and they've just had a really bad time in life and, and nobody wants to talk about it but now it's oh jesus like i went to keith's closet and actually got a really nice suit or a dress for uh, a special event to have like kind of coming in the future you know so it definitely it just drops your guard and it can just yeah make really good rapport which is something that again we find hard to build sometimes when mm. you're trying to be you know like when you have to give care where it's needed and and some of our clients need like some injections from time to time like to reduce their um agitation for example so it can often be like that sort of battleground as well where they don't want it but you have to give it like due to their mental illness so mm. and so you're not in kylo anymore no but keith's closet still is it is so tell it me is. about how that kind of legacy has continued uh, yeah uh, so keith's closet is standing in there uh, since 2019 which is incredible like it should have been long gone at this stage um <laughs> Now, after my seven months of, um, I won't say holiday in Carlo was a Norse owner manager, but <laughs> after my seven months stint, I went to um, the community then. Like, and, uh, like even now, and looking back, I think that has has really shaped me into the Norse I am, like, because I guess when we're looking at the people in the community, like, you definitely see so much more of the lives, where they live, their family, who they hang out with, where they are, and you're definitely more involved. And I feel like it's looking after family, mm -hmm. you know, because you're, like, you just become really close to some people. And I guess, like, for some people, you're their only person who mm -hmm. they can turn to, whether it's help with paying a bill, whether it's help with the next medication, whether anything and everything of of how we are in life so uh it's like pediatrics right the patient has this kind of extension of themselves exactly and you're caring for kind of everyone you really are yeah 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 you really are so i guess i've i've managed to spend a lot of uh, late nights and early mornings and weekends maintaining uh, the closet i do have some staff and volunteers that go in and and obviously keep it neat and tidy uh, because that's that's the big thing uh, for us is actually maintain it so every every time you walk in there it looks like the first time it's being used because mm. we don't want to look like Kmart on a Saturday afternoon where <laughs> where someone goes in and there's just stuff all over the floor it doesn't yeah. have the same experience then so yeah. but we're building it up really really well uh, we've also opened up our second Keats closet in St yeah. Vincent's there in October um, and that was mainly done through one of the peer support workers Catfly who absolutely drove the project we only met last year um and and she was like right that's that's happening in, in st vincent's next i was like okay awesome. well if you need me you know where i am you know and how's it been going at st vincent's oh fantastic it's it's like we've definitely stepped it up a notch uh, this year as well for the simple reason that it's not it's not actually in the heart of the admissions unit either mm -hmm. it's at the back of um a mental health unit so we can get more volunteers in there and not worry about safety issues yeah, or anything okay. like that we've also got it's almost like a, a hallway outside and uh, we've after building a big um shoe uh shelf rack there as well so mm -hmm. there's all footwear 
all along a big massive wall all shapes and styles and and then when you walk into the closet then yeah like i think we've definitely stepped that up a bit this year as well so we're trying to get better and better you know awesome mm. and if listeners want to know more about keith's closet can you yeah. tell them where they can get more information yeah so our website is keithscloset.org um we're on facebook keith's closet and also on instagram keith's closet official and does that include people who might want to make donations is there a Absolutely. way they can help out yeah 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 like i said they can contact us um via them sites as well i'm i'm often fairly live around them we've got i've got a helping hand now as well who looks after them because that's genuinely a full-time job in okay. itself because you're just getting so many inquiries you're getting amazing people across the networks who want to donate and also um staff as well like you want to know more about the service and how we can help and how we can expand into their areas too and so tell me what is your ambition for case closet do you want to see it expanded yeah so my ambition and my absolutely absolute dream two years ago was to um have a mobile service ah. uh, because we didn't want people want like obviously coming into the hospital just to get a new outfit so <laughs> do you see that happen though <laughs> sometimes <laughs> sometimes enough. yeah so i i reached out uh, to patty actually i met him again like this absolute legend my uh artist friend and and he asked me one of the days he said listen what do you need right now like for kate's closet and i said listen i need a van and I said, I need a warehouse as well, because this is where we're going, you know? So he said to me, well, listen, I can't help you with the warehouse, but I can help you with a van. That's all right, well, listen, fantastic. And just, you know, when you get an image or something, you mentioned a van, I thought it'll be a little van now that I can just throw a box or two into, which I'm really grateful for. It's better than what I haven't got. And then he turned up in this uh, Volkswagen Crafter van, which is a big, enormous van i've never driven the size of it in my <laughs> life and um he was actually doing some mass fitting in this van so it's fully kitted out wow. with drawers lockers wardrobe hanging oh. space it was just like it was specially built for kate's closet i couldn't genuinely believe it that's it amazing yeah so have you got it out on the road yet yeah this okay. is this is out on the road serving many people we're now an outreach service as well so we've been as far as blacktown and we've done some days over there but a lot of the clients um who come to the Eurova center now for doctor review or depots for example will link in with me and say listen if you're around on such and such a day i'd like to come and access the van and with, again we've got everything there available that we would have in our closets or the uri would have in a wardrobe mm. so although it can often be a stressful time for depots or doctor reviews um this adds a little bit of a, a sparkle to it and so between you know your normal job in the community you yeah. know part of the mental health team i'm assuming and then yeah. also kind of driving keith's closet project how yeah. do you fit all of that in i don't know <laughs> I, I honestly don't know um but i guess i'm just so passionate about it i make it work it's a lot of hours but it never feels like work anyway because it's it's genuinely so rewarding um and i have to say things are gonna get a lot busier with the fact that we uh we actually found our warehouse spaces now down in the heart of alexandria oh fantastic yeah oh, so that's this wonderful. is mind-blowing yeah this yeah. is groundbreaking for us because so much has got to grow from this and so looking back would you have ever thought you'd end up 
doing all of this and that you would have, you know, had like from, I think what sounds like pretty humble beginnings Mm. and quite a lot of challenge in your life to be in a situation where really you've made such an incredible project that's kind of changing lives for people. Yeah. No, listen, I never would, but I I definitely have found my calling and and I have Norson like to thank for that because uh, it was, yeah, listen, like you get nothing for nothing in this world anyway. So... I think where I am now, I've I've sort of worked really, really hard for, and that's not to blow sunshine and think, oh, I'm like so wonderful, but <laughs> it set me up like for where I am now. I guess like going through the difficult times mm-hmm. um, in the past, and if I can share that bit of resilience, a bit of support for those who are careful, well, I think it's a job well done on my part. Oh, I would agree, a job very well done. Congratulations, it's a really remarkable uh, service. I think having listened to you, and an incredible legacy for you to kind of set up for so many people that will benefit from it yeah and like you said uh, you mentioned the word legacy like and i think some years ago um it was certainly something that i always wanted i want to leave like a positive legacy when i'm long gone hopefully my family friends whoever the service itself like will take it on after i'm long gone and hopefully mm. we'll we'll have them sydney wide new south wales australian even global you know mm. that's that's how far we're dreaming so keith obviously this service has really transformed the lives of people can you take us through any kind of stories you might have where you've really seen the difference that it's made to their lives yeah so i'm gonna give you two one really really quick one so this was someone came from the exec actually one of the days i wanted to see the closet and the previous day, or like a couple of days earlier, I was after hanging up a beautiful suit in this closet. And, and I remember looking at it going, this is genuinely made for Hollywood, this suit. It's, a, <laughs> it's all suited and booted, short ties, belt, uh, absolute works. And when I went on to the ward this day with the exec, lo and behold, this patient um, had this suit on. <laughs> and it was genuinely tailor-made for this man. He looked incredible. And he came down, you know, he says, Keith, what do you think of the suit, you know? And I just, I was genuinely touched by that. I really was. And, you know, he'd said to me, he said, listen, I was just over in there, the other section of the unit, he said, and about three or four patients asked me if I could be discharged today <laughs> because they mistook him as a psychiatrist. And I thought, well, if that doesn't do it for me, nothing will, you yeah. know. I was, it was amazing. But <laughs> another time, um, I was out there bringing a volunteer on to the water orientator around the place and everything was going well she was enjoying it and and all of a sudden like i kind of seen her take a bit of a bolt back and i thought oh something's happened here you know so i called her into the office just to make sure that she was okay and uh, she said this guy that's out here keith he's he's actually um listed as missing from a home in ireland in a hometown she was an irish volunteer and uh, she said to me, yeah, his family are all very worried about him. Um, if you can find out a bit of information. So I went in, obviously, to the nurse in, in conference and just said, listen, I've got a girl here who knows this guy from back home in Ireland. And uh, anyway, like we worked it out. Uh, he was actually brought in from the cliffs. He was, he was at that point in his life where he actually had enough. He'd, he'd lost his job. He'd broken up with his girlfriend. He was brought in to our mental health facility and um and from there like we just went out onto the floor and said listen they recognize this girl and and he was so happy that he actually recognized someone from home and was very confident for him and we sat with him for a few minutes and i said well what can i do like how can i actually help and he said well i want to try and get back home 
And I said, "Well, have you any money? Have you any savings at all?" He says, "Kate, I've genuinely nothing." He said, "I've, I've been through like the mill over the past while." And I said, "Okay, well, there's a, an organisation here in Sydney called the Irish Support Agency who have also engaged with myself during financial difficult times. Um, so let's see, like what they can do. So they had arranged to, uh, to purchase a flight ticket home, uh, for him to Ireland, mm-hmm. and I just got him like a big suitcase of beautiful clothes." To take home that would obviously keep him going for a few months until he found his feet and and of course like all our clients like we never hear much after what's happened to these people and hope they're doing well but he was someone like that came to mind every now and again and i got a facebook message then about six or seven months later and and he showed me a photo oh, sorry it was about 16 months later and he sent me a photograph of him and his new baby girl Wow. So he was out to becoming a dad and Aww. in that short space of time, you know, and um he remembers how much like we helped him like through Keith's closet and he still had the suitcase, you know, that we <laughs> gave him and it was just like, Well, the suitcase during such a, a traumatic time for him, like just to remember them things. So I think stories like that like definitely resonate with me and if I if I do have a minute where I'm thinking, Oh, what's the point, you know, these things definitely keep me going because it's uh yeah it's it's life-changing for some people amazing really is amazing is there anything that you want to cover that we haven't covered off oh look just we have a new warehouse space now and uh, new south wells haven't sort of given me that million dollar uh, donation <laughs> yet but i'm sure they will at some stage i'm sure it's in the post um <laughs> but if there is anybody out there who would like to be part of our service in the corporates or volunteering I would like to have a, a fundraising day for us. We need money in order to grow. Our warehouse just won't be a warehouse space. You'll have to come down. That is definitely our next part of call to see the warehouse because you've got to be blown away by what we've got to offer for all of our clients, but also on as, as a rehab arm as well. We've got to uh, be offering some rehab services down there to get our patients out of their uh, department house and, and get busy and get socialising and they can really drive the project. They're definitely the best place to do that. Sounds amazing. Well, congratulations. It's Thank been such much. a pleasure speaking with you today. Likewise. Thanks for having me in. Thanks for coming in. I'm afraid that's all we have time for on this episode of The Shift with Shay. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Keith. This is our last episode for the year, so I wish all our fellow nurses and midwives a very happy and restful holiday break if you're lucky enough to score one. And we'll be back in the new year with more fascinating stories from the world of nursing and midwifery. Before you go, make sure you like and subscribe to The Shift with Shay wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It helps others find the podcast. If you have a story to share with us, please let us know by emailing the team at theshiftpodcast at nswnma.asn.au. Bye for now.